Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Any viewpoints previously expressed on this program are not those of the current host. He in no way shape or form endorses any statements normally made during this time slot, disavows any connection to said points of view, and promises to keep the mundane daily events of his personal life from consuming valuable airtime over the next 60 minutes. He hopes. It's Friday, the 29th day of September. Welcome to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Brett Jensen not in the house. I guess you got three hours of Brett Jensen leading up to this. Scott Hamilton manning the seat for the next hour on a Friday, the last Friday in the month of September. We've got uh, Tommy behind the steel wheels making things happen. Hello, hello. Happy to have you on board. Before we get into the show, before we get into the show, young Thomas, what are you doing this weekend? That is uh, remains to be seen. Oh, actually, no, no, it doesn't. I will be here 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Sunday. Filling in for our boy Jackson Alexander. Um, and tomorrow, uh, during the day, actually, we might be frequenting uh, a few um, establishments of, uh, of, beverage, of beverage nature during the day. Um, you have to. Yeah. Be home by 9, go to sleep, and uh, <laughs> I'm honestly looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good weekend. I'll get home, watch some football, nap on my couch, depending on how it goes, and uh, yeah, be right back in the saddle Monday afternoon. Okay, that's first of all, you acted like, oh, oh, wait, I forgot I have to be here from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. on a Sunday. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, okay, I, I have been kind of trying not to think about it, but that, that's uh, a little you know, concerning, bro. You no, know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll set myself a reminder right now, actually. Okay, good, I'm good idea. I'm going to go ahead then, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there. Now, I've got it on this little rundown I put together, and it's actually the last part of this segment. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there now. College game day at Duke. As a Carolina guy, I'm I'm here for it. You know, let them have their fun. Um, I do want College Game Day to eventually get everywhere, hit every spot. I think there's a few Syracuse, Rutgers, Virginia. Uh, Ooh, you're jumping ahead to my research. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're only a couple short. I know there's like five, maybe like... Minnesota or nope, no. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, Bow the road. You know they're going to go to row the boat. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, you're right. Cal. Um, Cal. That, because that, that's kind of a surprising one. Okay. I mean, not a huge, you know. Okay, there, like, and bit, you named almost Cal. all, you named almost all of them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now there are only six. But here's the interesting part. Here's the interesting part. Duke, mark it off the list. Mm-hmm. ACC school. Maryland. Has, it's never been That's to Maryland, right. former ACC school, mm-hmm. founding member of the ACC, Syracuse, ACC school, ACC school, Virginia, ACC school. ACC. The only one, well, I guess Rutgers. You could say Rutgers in Illinois. Rutgers and Illinois are the only other two. Cal, future ACC school. Well, and Ru- they recently, I think, in just the past couple years, checked that uh, checked Wake Forest off the list. They came yes. for Wake Forest, Notre Dame, or Wake Forest, Clemson, or something like that. Yes. Um. So yeah, I mean, people talk about ACC football, uh, and I mean that's kind of a bad, bad look. Well, and again, <laughs> I had a whole list of newsy items to get to. I'm going to go ahead and just roll with this. I, it is a bad look because it's been so top heavy 
Absolutely. for the better part of well, thirty some thirty three years since since Florida State came into the conference, it was basically Florida State and everybody else for a long time. I remember Florida State losing its first ACC game. Um, it was at Virginia in ninety five. I think they'd been in a conference four years right. before they ever lost a conference game. And, and then of course you had the the Virginia Tech had its moment with Michael Vick and mm-hmm. all that, and Marcus. <laughs> Marcus, yes. Did you ever see the video of Marcus Vick running from the cops? Uh, yeah. And he had yeah. to stop because mm-hmm. he was out of shape, and he just yeah. sat down, and they arrested him. He just couldn't run anymore. Yeah. But people like people forget about Marcus, and maybe they should. They do. They do. <laughs> he had a cup of coffee with the Dolphins, I remember. But I digress. And then you have Clemson, the rise of Clemson, who was the alpha of the ACC pre-Florida State National mm-hmm. Championship under Danny Ford in the early 1980s, so on and so forth. But what we're going to get now is – is it going to be more top-heavy, or is it going to be distributed out more evenly with these new schools coming in? I am Here's what's on my mind. And there was a column in the Charleston Post and Courier two days ago by the esteemed Gene Sapikoff, and he was talking about Clemson leaving the ACC. And we've heard this for some time mm-hmm. now, and Tommy, you're well aware of it. Yep. Um, and, and actually, it became even more of a, of a conversation piece when they brought in Syracuse or Stanford when they brought in Cal when they brought in SMU and Florida State was the one most vocal um, about the discrepancy in money and then UNC was the one most vocal about bringing in the new additions Mm -hmm. come to find out Clemson Ninja Clemson Tigers they're the ones that might be leaving first Uh, apparently again according to Gene Sapikov's column in the Charleston Post and Courier they're working to get out that's what I've been seeing rumblings of. They've found, apparently, uh, and I've done very like brief, you know, I've seen tweets about it basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like they think they found uh, they found a way, a way to wiggle out of it. Um, well, I, I don't know if it's so much that as in, and and somebody in Gene quotes somebody in his column is actually saying this. There's strength in numbers, and it's easier to negotiate your way out if you're not negotiating alone. Absolutely. And we already know of the schools that voted against entry for Cal and Stanford. Could North Carolina be one of them wiggling out right now? Could Florida State? And and who was the fourth one? Was it NC State, I believe? Yes, I think so. And I wouldn't be surprised to hear Miami. Yeah, you would think they'd be in that conversation, especially as, um, you know, not obviously lately being national title contenders or anything, you know, really close, but a big football brand that has been at that level um, and would expect to want to, uh, you know, get that same kind of money all those other schools are looking for. Obviously, for me personally, Carolina leaving the ACC would kind of stink, but it would also alleviate my uh, multi-allegiances in the same <laughs> conference, which selfishly wouldn't be a terrible thing, having to, you know, check off a few games every schedule where I'm like, well, uh, that's going to be tough to watch because I'm going to be conflicted. Wait, 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 wait. Let's explore this. Okay. So they leave the ACC, then you're able to root for state? No, 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 no. You're so rooting for Duke? I ha- Wake, absolutely Wake not. Forest? So, yes, Wake Forest is one. My uh, parents met at Wake Forest, so I grew up going to games at Lawrence Joel, Grove Stadium. Grove, uh, Stadium. Grove Stadium. Yeah, that yeah that's right. Had the, the, that's right. The, the press box was a trailer in the sky, mm-hmm. man. Yep. They had one there, and they had one in NC State. Oh, it's, very, little, it's the best. A little different now. <laughs> best, press box, best press box in Division One football. I, I, will, I will die on the hill for that. Yeah, and I've been to a lot of them, brother. It's it's pretty amazing. And uh, my parents also, it's just it's just strange it worked out this way. They both happened to grow up 
in upstate New York for a time, so I was raised a huge Syracuse fan. So when I was a kid, Syracuse in the Big East, Wake Forest in the ACC. Best of both worlds. Exactly. I got to pour my heart into Madison Square Garden and Tobacco Road. Yeah, like, it was incredible. It was peak, like... Maybe, maybe I'm sure some old heads might argue not oh, peak, yes. uh, not peak Big East. But I mean, there were some pretty dang good years for the Big I, East. Have, there. You, have you seen the Thirty for Thirty? Yes, Requiem for the Big East. Oh, it's a fantastic my, one of my favorite ones. We'll we'll, we'll we'll explore more of this down down the road here because uh, I I really did have some newsy stuff. Sorry to dominate. No, the, uh, no. I mean, you you triggered me. It was trigger because <laughs> this has been a big deal, especially if Clemson leaves the ACC, goes to the SEC, presumably. They're going to have to put South Carolina in their place. Georgia is going to have to sit on its hands as well because it's only 80 miles from the state, right. from Clemson University, something like that. The, it's going to be crazy if that happens, and it's going to happen. Uh, the actual quote was Gene asked one of his sources at Clemson. Uh, they said an announcement is coming. He says, could it be in 2023? And their response was, stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much seems like once the rumblings start, you know, People can uh, argue back against it as much as they want and hope, but These well, things once, happened. once once the smoke starts, the fire comes. Seems uh, like very well said. Very well said. Speaking of smoke, there is smoke, and you're going to see professional segue. Nice smoke surrounding a government shutdown, possible government shutdown. You like how I pivoted really nice. quickly that really with that? Good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the deadline is tomorrow, Saturday night, midnight. If they can't work out some kind of deal, get things arranged or fixed in Congress, then the government is shutting down. So that but I, I do still have to come to work. You yes, you still have to come to work. Dang yeah, it. five o'clock Sunday Dang morning. <laughs> you're still gonna now you're gonna have some issues after that if this thing comes to light. But you're gonna have to come to work. And I'm I'm one of those people, what does this mean though? Because right. I didn't know what it meant for me until I said I did some research because of this show. Uh who's impacted the most? What's it mean for the average American? How's it going to impact you with your pocketbook? How's it going to impact you with regards to medical care, things of, of that nature, or even your leisure time? How is it going to impact maybe upcoming plans you have? So I went to an expert. I went to an expert, and I was able to have a conversation with Eric Heberlich. Eric Heberlich, Professor Eric Heberlich. He's a uh, political science professor at University of North Carolina, Charlotte. UNC Charlotte, UNCC, Charlotte, whatever you want to call it. And I had a wonderful conversation with him, and he enlightened me on the whole deal. What the shutdown means, how it impacts the average American, and what it means going forward. We've got that conversation with him on the other side. You're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Scott Hamilton in control. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Scott Hamilton manning the seat to breaking with Brett Jensen. The threat of a government shutdown, uh, a lot of questions about that. What does a government shutdown mean? Uh, even if it happens or it doesn't happen, we hear about these things every so often, but there's a lot of confusion about what exactly defines a government shutdown. So we're going to go to someone who can give us those answers. He's a political science professor at UNC Charlotte. We're joined now by Professor Eric Heberlig. Eric Heberlig. Wow, that's a uh, Pennsylvania name if I ever heard one, Eric. <laughs> Very German, yes. Very German. Well, tell us what what are some of the uh, 
common misconceptions with the government shutdown, or better yet, let's start with this. What exactly is a government shutdown? The federal government's fiscal year runs from October 1 through September 30th. So what happens when they don't have new spending bills passed is that executive branch agencies have no legal authority to spend money to pay their employees or to run their programs. So the the, the agencies that don't have that funding authority basically have to shut down um, and tell their employees not to come to work. Uh, now, they've wiggled out some alternative ways around that. So there are essential employees that they have to come to work and will get paid later. And there are some type of programs like Social Security and Medicare that are entitlements that don't rely on this budget year. So people who um, get their Social Security checks, for example, won't have those interrupted. So that that's one misconception, I guess, is clear, that, that people are still going to get their government benefits. But does that also pertain to perhaps um, re- retirement plans or whatnot if you're ex-military, uh, some sort of military pension? Yeah, military is, they're, they're covered separately as, as well for, for most type things. Um, so um, for, for most things, that they're not going to have to worry about interruption of their services either. And I know one thing people are concerned about, we, we hear about law enforcement. Um, these people aren't going to be paid, mainly military, not law enforcement, but yeah. military, uh, border patrol, so on and so forth. What's going to happen there, and how can they alleviate that? Yeah, so uh, most federal security, which is, again, not your local police departments. They're, they're paid out of, of local sources, so they're not going to be interrupted. But like uh, transportation security agency officials or border uh, patrol officials, uh, they're essential personnel, so they have to come to work. They won't get paid while the government is shut down, but they'll be paid afterwards. Yeah, so the, the last government shut down, which was about six years ago, uh, it was the record long for 35 days, um, and it, it's less that the money that federal employees are, are spending themselves hurts the economy. It's the broader perception that things are off and and, and businesses, um, you know, are, are uncertain that kind of restricts economic activity, and, and that's kind of the, the the longer this goes on, the longer that uncertainty lasts, uh, and the thus the more economic damage that can come from it. Joined by Eric Heberlich, poli-sci professor, UNC Charlotte. Uh, professor, just a couple more minutes, please. How, how do we even get to this point, though, where the government shuts down? Because a, a lot of us who think only on a small level, we don't think of the government as actually being a business, but in fact, it's the largest business in the world. What contributes to it getting to the point where it can't continue to operate and function normally? So one element is just the natural budget cycle, that legally they need to pass a new budget every single year so that agencies aren't spending money without permission from elected officials. But the second element of it is, and this is why we've seen more of these shutdowns in the past generation than before, is that politicians are using this kind of drop-dead date strategically as leverage to try to get things that they couldn't get passed if it were just an up or down vote of majorities of the House and the Senate. So this time we see a relatively small number of conservative Republicans who have a variety of different demands, which makes it hard then for the Speaker to to meet their demands because many of them want something different, Um, all using this opportunity as leverage to say, we're not going to vote for this unless you 
uh, cut spending or unless you drop money for Ukraine uh, or unless you add more uh, things we want at the border. Um, and, and that's the challenge we're at now, that um, even if the House were come to an agreement and pass something, which they haven't, you'd still need to reach agreement with the Senate and the president. And given that we only have uh, you know three days um, until the, the deadline, all those things aren't likely to fall into place, even if uh, suddenly the House uh, finds agreement today. Do, do these things ever happen at the state or local level? Is it even feasible for it to happen at those levels? Uh, most states require a, a balanced budget, so that kind of forces um, compromise earlier. Uh, likewise, most states, as the federal government typically does, is pass what's called a continuing resolution, which means they, the budget continues to go based on the past year's spending level, uh, and agencies can continue to spend until the, the new budget agreement is reached. North Carolina is a good example of that. We're supposed to have passed our, our budget um, back in the summer, and it took till last week that they finally passed the, the final budget. But, you know, we continue to operate under last year's budget authority until they reached agreement this time. Uh, Professor, and again, I don't mean to get too much of your opinion involved in this, but I have to ask you, is there a particular state that functions maybe a better than all the rest when it comes to avoiding these sorts of things and to keeping its budget tight, or perhaps even a surplus, and then there are other states who, who lag behind off the top of your head? No, because most states do have balanced budget requirements, so they're forced um, to, to come to some type of an agreement, and you know, and the constitutional requirement then limits their ability for this t- the type of gamesmanship that we're currently seeing in the House of Representatives. In my, in my last question, I'm Joe Blow off the street. I'm coming into your office, and I go, Professor, there's going to be a government shutdown. Oh, my God, what, what should I do? What should I do? What are your words of advice? Uh, calm down. <laughs> Unless you're a federal employee, um, you, you will go to work on Monday. Uh, just about everything in your life will continue to go on as normal. If you're expecting a passport from the Social Security office, or sorry, that the State Department, that's going to be delayed. If you are planning to go to the Great Smoky Mountain National Parks, you might have to cancel that trip. But pretty much everybody else, life will function perfectly normally on Monday. You know, that's something I hadn't thought about, that travel might be impacted by all this. Can you quickly work yeah. us through some scenarios there? Yeah, so um, one way there could be direct economic impacts is, say, if you have a hotel or a restaurant uh, outside Great Smoky Mountain National Park, uh, and the park gets shut down because the park employees can't get paid, um, and people start canceling their their trips, their their hotel stays, and, and don't come to eat at your restaurant. That's how these things tend to have a uh, an economic impact that that expands over time. Um, but since most people don't regularly visit national parks or don't regularly, um, you know, need an updated passport to travel abroad, um, these things tend to have much slower and more direct impacts. It, it's more about um, you know, the broader feelings about the state of the economy, broader alienation from, from politics that, you know, they, they can't do fundamental things like pass a budget that, um, that, that turn people off from the political process. He's Professor Eric Heberlig, UNC Charlotte, Professor of Political Science. Eric, outstanding insight. We appreciate your time today, and let's hope that uh, – Let's hope any trips to the Great Smokies or whatnot don't hinder any uh, or encounter any obstacles. All right. Have a good day. Again, that was Eric Heberleek.
political science professor at UNC Charlotte. Let's find out what's going on in the world. Head over to the WBT newsroom. Check in with Anna. Any viewpoints previously expressed on this program are not those of the current host. He in no way, shape, or form endorses any statements normally made during this time slot, disavows any connection to said points of view, and promises to keep the mundane daily events of his personal life from consuming valuable airtime over the next 60 minutes. He hopes. The second half breaking with Brett Jensen, Brett Jensen, Scott Hamilton in the house. We've got about 30 minutes to go. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Before uh, my Friday starts, before the weekend starts, looking forward to that. A lot of college football. Get to watch the Ryder Cup. And again, I've got these bullet points, and I'm going to get off track one more time because I'm really, really sideways. First of all, Tommy, my favorite sporting event, you know I love college football more than just about anything in this world mm-hmm. other than my son. I uh, I love golf. Right. Not not to play golf. I used to play three times a week. I don't play anymore, but I watch golf. And I, I, my favorite sporting event, not even close, is the Ryder Cup. I've been to four Ryder Cups. That's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. That's dude. pretty awesome. That's a bucket. I'm not even a huge golf guy, but going to see a Ryder Cup live is kind of one of those bucket lists. Crazy. Like I've never actually been to a golf tournament in person at any level. Oh, so, we got a great um, one right here. I know. I know. But guess where I am most of the time? Man, you're, Elsewhere. You're right here. I'm going to go ahead and get on, on my tangent then. And then I'm going to get do back it, to some it. new stuff. And I have plenty of new stuff. i got a couple of stories that will blow people's minds. The United States right now, over in Rome, taking on Team Europe, losing 6.5 to 1.5. It's match play. Don't make me get into the minutia of the scoring. Long story short, there are 8 points possible today, 8 points possible tomorrow, 12 points possible on Sunday. Europe needs 14. Fourteen and a half points to win the Ryder Cup. They've already got six and a half. And I do know for a fact, uh, history is not on the U.S.'s side playing over in Europe. Uh, I believe it's thirty years. Yeah, nineteen ninety-three. Nineteen ninety-three. Yes, I. Them and the Lions. Here, by the way, I'm gonna and I'm handing Tommy a paper. That is a print off from a column I wrote in 2004 when I was the golf writer at the Wilmington oh, at, Star News. Look at you. All yes, you like the conservative haircut and the little button up. Mm-hmm. But I wrote that from Oakland Hills, and I felt like it was relevant today, so I pulled it up because it's basically it's this narrative that the Americans are always the favorites. You look at the rankings, you look at the star power on each team, and the and it's always tilting in the favor. Of the American team. But do not, do not fall into the trap of ever betting on the United States in the Ryder Cup. It's just different. It's just different. And, and I laid it out in this column, and I think the date on this column is 2004. September 20th, 2004. Okay, so it's as relevant then as it is now. And I wrote that 19, 19 years ago, man. I wrote that from Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. I believe it... Uh sentiment stands and well the crux of it is this first of all they show up on in one bus one train our guys are taking 12 different jets 12 different taxis they're just each each of our golfers is an individual corporation and you could tell me oh what about rory what about john rom and all this no they're still wired differently that's my second point the whole team is wired differently they are just different they hail from countries 
where they understand that English isn't the only language. Their customs, their cultures, everything is just different, and it's not as selfish. In this of all competitions, you can't be selfish. Not Golf, by its nature, is, a, is an individual game. You're not playing your opponent. You're playing the course, an inanimate object. And in doing that, you're playing yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's all about being isolated. You can't be isolated in these events. And and people don't realize, if it wasn't for one putt in 1999, one iconic putt by Justin Leonard, the greatest comeback in the history of the Ryder Cup, one of my favorite memories in sports, at uh, the Country Club in Brookline, we would be looking at 25 years plus of European dominance in this event. People don't realize it. Home and away, Tommy. Right. Home and Not away. Not just on foreign soil. Not just on foreign soil. And and it bewilders me how people are saying, I'll ask him, oh, who are you picking in the Ryder Cup? Well, you know, I, I have to go for the Americans, and I think they'll win. Or I'll just hear, uh, you know, we look, you know, it's going to be the Americans. Because a lot of the guys on the European team, you'll look at the roster, you're not going to know their name. You're not. They all don't play over here, man. Right. There's still a lot of them that play exclusively over in Europe, and so they discount them. It doesn't matter. You get in that team room that that everybody's the same. Yeah, you got Rory, you got John Rahm, names we know, but in that team room, everybody's on the same level. Not like that on the American team. I'm also wondering this, Tommy. The there, there was some angst with selecting the American team. Uh, Justin Thomas, you know, are they going to take him? He had a bad year, mm-hmm. but he's performed well in Ryder Cup. He wants to be at the Ryder Cup. A lot of guys don't because they don't. Right. It doesn't pay. It doesn't pay. So we hear about that. We hear rumblings about how the team was selected. We don't hear that in Europe. The captains, it's, it's, they want to go. They want to go, wanna man. Go. They all want to roll. And then you got a guy like Brooks Kepka, who I love. Brooks Kepka. I'm a Brooks Kepka guy, but, but. What's he been doing for the last year? He's been playing live golf. Yep. Now, he did win a major. He finished, what, runner-up or third at the Masters. Absolutely phenomenal. There's people ticked off about that because the guy who makes money from the Saudi Arabians is playing for Team USA. So the whole thing is disjointed, and I think it was evident this morning when they fell behind 4-0. Yes. I just went on a huge rant about this. You can tell this is something that means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, one thing that people also seem to discount, I guess, is that, especially on foreign soil, and this speaks to the poor record there, these guys that are playing over in Europe exclusively, they're the only ones that have experience on these courses, really, yes. of any sort. Like, Sepp Straka, I believe his name is, for, from Austria. Yeah. Um, I think he's also on the PGA Tour. But I feel like he's probably, and this is me just, I have no idea if this is right <laughs> or not. But I feel like he's more likely to have played at uh, this course in Rome than any of the guys on the American side. Because they're so focused on the PGA Tour that they're not going to make it to these other, these other places. I agree. I agree, and it's just different, the entire format, because the first two days is literally, you have a partner. You yep. you have a partner. The way you perform is often contingent on the way your partner is performing and vice versa. So it, it's a real symbiotic relationship, and in an individual sport, it's not natural. No. But it is natural over there because they do this more often. You come over here, it says, how low can I go? Yep, pretty much. Very how low few, can I go? How, I mean, how many tournaments on the tour, PGA Tour, are match play? A I, handful, I'm trying if to that? Think. Not, no, not even a handful anymore. Not even a handful. And so, majors, you know, the PGA Championship used to be a match play event back in the day before I was born, believe it or not. 
now it's a stroke play event, and I, it's just different, man. And and it wasn't you. The U.S. dominated this event up until 1979, and we kept winning. But 1979 is when they opened it up because prior to that, it was the United States versus the United Kingdom, England, Ireland, mm-hmm. Scotland. 1979, they opened up all of Europe. Okay, we still won 79. We won 81. But in 83, things started shifting. Why? Because you had a guy named Sevi Ballesteros who came in and put the world of golf up on its head. And he had Jose Maria Olazabal and the Spanish Armada and all this, that, and the other. And suddenly the tide starts changing. And I've got the note written down over there what the record is. Look at the record. Flip it over, I think, since 1995. And it is, it is obscene what the record is. Here, I'll look at it. Since 1995. Tommy, you can look at this. Look at this. I'm one, two, two and one. Count that up. <laughs> count that up. What am I even me. counting? Here? Okay, count the ones on the left to the ones on the right. Oh, gotcha. The man. ones one, on the two, left are three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on the left. One, two, three on the right. That's since 1995. The we we Europe, are we are way. we are three and ten. That's or, not very good. That's not good. And and again, you take away that Justin Leonard putt in 1999, and you have a string of what? One, two, three, four, five, six straight. Before before Paul Azinger, who I criticize as much as anybody because he's awful on television, he went to Valhalla, captaining that Ryder Cup team, and he came up with the pod system. And he says, okay, these guys, no matter what, you're going to be together all week. I want you to eat together. I want you to practice together, go hang out together, go to strip bar, go to cockfight, do whatever you're going to do, <laughs> but stay together. And we ended up whipping the Europeans 16.5 to 11.5. But then what happened after that? We lost three more in a row. It's just we we are not good at this event. And I it baffles me because we think and we think we should dominate a game. We didn't even invent this game. We didn't. But you would think we would be able to do sort of what the Europeans do and find those complementary pieces to the big headline names from somewhere in those, you know, in those that pool of players, but I'm going to name some names for you. Go ahead. Colin Montgomery. How many majors did he win? I don't know. None. None. One of the greatest players in Ryder Cup history. Sergio Garcia. Do you know how many majors Sergio has? Uh, zero. He has one. one. He won the Masters seven years ago, six years ago. That's right. That's right. But he's the winningest, winningest player in the history of the Ryder Cup. You have these guys, an Ian Poulter, a Luke Donald, uh, someone, you go on down the line, Lee Westwood. Lee Westwood never won a major, but he's an absolute assassin in the Ryder Cup. It's just it, a different event. It's a different event, and they are built different for it. I, I went off on a major tangent. I major. Didn't even, uh, <laughs> even uh, pun intended. Ah! Ha ha ha. So, I don't know, man. It, it just, it, it just, it really upsets me because it's, it's the Olympics of golf. We don't need golf in the Olympics because we have this. Right. And the, the the President's Cup, which is the same thing, except it's the United States versus the rest of the world. It doesn't have the sizzle. It doesn't have the sex appeal. It's, this thing is such such a passion. If you ever go to a Ryder Cup, dude, imagine going to an SEC football game at a golf course. That's crazy because that's so, like, not It's It's not, not natural. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. It's so awesome, man. I digress, but I digress. We're losing six and a half to one and a half. So, I've actually got real news we're going to talk about on the other side. As a matter of fact, do you watch game shows? Uh, when I when I was sick in elementary school, <sighs> have you ever watched Family Feud? I have, I have. 
I've got a tale of murder. Uh oh. With a link to Family Feud. What'd you do, Steve? Uh, <laughs> it was his mustache. I'll tell you on the other side. You're listening to Breaking with Brett, Brett Jensen. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Making the final lap, breaking with Brett Jensen on a Friday. Scott Hamilton wrapping things up. Producer Tommy at the steel wheels making things happen. And I teased it before the break, and I've gotten into way too much sports during this program. We had the whole ACC talk with uh, College Game Day headed to Duke. I couldn't help myself. It kind of began. I'm, or, I'm not a help either. That's I. That's right up my wheelhouse. Well, so. Yeah, you got I, real uh, excited. I get you distracted. You get Sorry. me distracted. And then the Ryder Cup, of course, which I think is relevant. That's the uh, sports news du jour today. That beginning over in Rome. You ever been to Rome? I have actually. It's awesome. Um, yeah, hot, hot, it's very as hot. Heck, and make sure you know those this, the the uh, metro does close. Um, so make sure you're on your train. You you know when you're tra- uh, when to get on your trainer. You could be walking a long ways. And you're not going to get ice. Uh, no, you're there's not. no ice. No, and there's a lot of pesto. Yes. Not a lot of marinara, which is fine. Like I mean, I, I love I love marinara, fantastic. but like I love pesto too. So you're in when in Rome, it, literally. Ah, literally. again, professional <laughs> segue. Uh, I teased it on the other side. Game show, Family Feud, and there's the show on. Uh, I think is it CBS Forty Eight Hours, something uh, like that. Something like that. Yeah. I'm anyway, not, I'm not that familiar with cable anymore. Well, they're diving in. To a murder case, and the, and there's already been a conviction and all that. Timothy Tim, you do the quote marks. Timothy Tim and quote marks. W. Bleifnick, B. L. I. E. F. N. I. C. K. He uh, he's the former Family Feud contestant who made a joke on the show about regretting his marriage and was later convicted of mur- murdering his estranged wife. Oops. Well, he's speaking out now. Forty eight hours, or four, yeah, went and interviewed him, presumably in prison. Il- yes, in Illinois prison. Uh, three life sentences this guy got for murdering his wife. And the way this relates to the show is it's bone chilling. Chilling, man. It is okay. chilling. They ask him the question. The, 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 the category is this. What is the number one regret that people have from their wedding day? And here's the clip from 48 Hours regarding his answer. What's the biggest mistake you made at your wedding? Honey, I love you, but said I do. (laughs) Not my mistake. Not my mistake. I love my wife. It wasn't said with any malice or or bad intentions. It was supposed to be funny. It was the second most popular answer on the board. I do. It got attention to the case, but it had nothing to do with it. All right. Wow. Well, first of all, I give him props for saying it. It, in the spirit of the game, it was it was it was a answer that popped up. The number two correct answer. I mean, yikes! But (sighs) this was in 2020, by the way. His wife went missing. She was a registered nurse. People hadn't seen her for a while, and then they eventually found her murdered. But come on, man! Come on! First of all. If you're having problems at the time, you don't say anything like that. But if you think you might have problems, you don't say anything like that. I just, as soon 
as soon as he became a murder suspect, people had to go dig that up. They're looking, they're going through files, they're trying to find stuff. Man, and I read that this morning, and I'm going to watch 48 Hours just for this episode because I, I want to know more. I mean, how could you have the guts? And when you see him, he looks like Pee Wee Herman. He, no, he does. He looks just like Pee Wee Herman. I'll have his, to look him up. His hair is slicked back, just like Pee Wee Herman's, you know, that jet black hair, and he's mm-hmm. got the bow tie in this. I thought it was Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens. So that in and of itself was pretty creepy. Here's another wild crime story. And I, I got this one earlier today, and it happened last week, actually, in Southern California. So these women go into a nail salon. These women go into a nail salon, okay. and they're, they're buying some stuff, and they say, we want help, blah, blah, blah. And they get all this stuff, $600 worth of merchandise. And they get to the counter, and then they bolt. They take off. $600 mm. worth of merchandise from a nail salon. That's not the big story. Okay. The big story is that one of the women came back. She had forgotten her cell phone. Whoops. And she wanted her phone. She wanted. She's like, I want my phone. Well, wait a minute. I you want just my stole, stuff back. <laughs> you, just, you just stole a bunch of stuff. And the owner of the of the store, he said, tell you what, give us the stuff you stole. We'll give you your phone back. Oh, no. She wasn't taking that. Of course not. She smacks him in the face so hard that he falls on his back. You can watch the video of it. Then she goes behind the counter, and the lady working the register, pregnant now, she's pregnant, starts roughing her up a little bit, Okay, grabs her phone, takes off. So she and another lady, they hop into a car, they get about a mile down the road, and they get arrested. Good. But, man, the value, the, and they figured out the phone was worth more than what they had stolen. But she was going. Hey, the, there's price, there's priceless memories on that phone, Scott. There's all kinds of stuff. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> okay, she had to get it because it would lead them back to her. Yes. First of all. Right to her. You had an opportunity to call it even Steven. Cut your bait. Yep. You screwed up. This guy's giving you a free out. How can you? What? How could they have thought that would have ended well? Well, thinking does not seem like uh, their strong suit would be my guess. Um, yeah, seems like they got their comeuppance. I guess hopefully uh, it sticks, and um, that's uh, one nail salon that uh, can. Well, it's like a nail salon slash store. It had a bunch of stuff in it where you could buy supplies, uh, fingernail polish, gel, that SNS dip, gotcha. which is very expensive, by the way. Don't ask me how I know these things. Maybe I'm. Maybe I used to get a manicure every Tuesday. Nails look pretty good there, Scott. Uh, they look awful right now. They're, <laughs> they're trash. But you, you get my point. Just absolutely mind blowing. And speaking Over of mind blowing, dollars worth of stuff too. Just yes. And speaking of mind blowing, and you look, you are a wonderful producer. Thank I you. trust you exquisitely or exquisitely uh, unassailable. Your your character, but, but. You still got to read scripts. So if you were to write a script for me, I'm going to read it before I read it on air. You yeah. don't ever go in cold. So yeah, I mean it's you that ends up saying it. After it's me, all. and also you want to learn the cadence and this and that and the other. Well, it didn't happen at WAVE television station in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's just really unfortunate because the anchor may be a little too trusting. And I was a TV news anchor for quite a while. You read your scripts, man. You read your scripts. Well, the anchor didn't read the script. She reads it cold, and it's a it's a basically a PSA type thing live regarding suicide. Here's what unfolded. Special and remember the suicide hotline number is nine eight eight. 
not talking about it, it doesn't help. Suicide is always there as an option, but it's never the right solution to the problem. And if you've hit your breaking point, instead of just taking your life, do something one step short of it. Quit your job and move to China to become uh, a rice, or don't quit your job. There are resources available. Um, talk to your loved one. All right. Don't quit your job. And and the video comes from the video comes from somebody who recorded it on television. As flabbergasted as everybody watching it live. Don't quit your job. Don't quit your job. Don't what, quit your job. Well, what she says in it is, and I'm going to read it because I got a copy of the script. Good. And and basically it reads like this. And if you've hit your breaking point, instead of taking your life or some or some, do something one step short of it. Quit your job and move to China to become a rice farmer or just do anything crazy. What? That's. So the anchors. Somebody has to get the axe here. Sure. Okay. I'm going to get to that before we end the show. Okay. And this is from Inside Information in the Louisville Media Market. The anchor, God bless her heart. She's mad. She walks off. The meteorologist has to finish the newscast. They go to fire the anchor. And what does he do, Tommy? The anchor? No, not the anchor, the producer. What does he do? Threatens suicide. Now, to my knowledge, to my knowledge about what, a week later, whenever this happened just a few days ago, to my knowledge, this individual still has his job. So, I mean, I guess, uh, as the kids say, big brain move there to keep, like, but wow. Wow. Wow, and you know that person would never get a job again in television. No. So no. we'll send it off into the weekend on that. I want to thank producer Tommy for keeping the ship afloat while Brett is off doing Brett things. I also want to thank Eric Heberlig, professor of political science at UNC Charlotte. UNC Charlotte. I'm Scott Hamilton. Hey, be sure to hit me up on WBT News. You'll hear me on the hourlies next week here, there, and everywhere. Also, follow me on Twitter, slash X, at Scott H4456. Otherwise, until next time, everybody have a great weekend. Be safe. We're out.